Welcome to Sunrise, your weekday podcast bringing you a fresh squeeze into Florida's news, politics, and culture. I'm your host, Tramel Gomes, reporting from the Florida Capitol, as Agriculture Commissioner Nikki Freed announces public data showing schools with mask mandates fared better with COVID-19. And that school districts requiring masks had lower cases per capita than those that did not. Broward Teachers Union launched a district-wide door-to-door canvassing effort to find nearly 11,000 students missing from their roster due to the pandemic. Well, it was successful because knocked on almost 9,000 doors, reached over 2,000 people to have conversations with. A few hundred have reconnected coming back to campus. Governor Ron DeSantis shares his views on the judicial branch during the formal welcome of Justice John Coryell to the Florida Supreme Court. When judges go astray, sometimes it's because they think they're a little smarter than the people that, that get elected to office. And, that they... and environmental advocates say more needs to be done to protect the Apalachicola River. Anybody who is familiar with that ecosystem just knows over the years how severe these losses have been. And the government's been turning a blind eye to it, and that's got to stop. Today's Sunrise interview features Anna Fusco, president of Broward Teachers Union, with a remarkable story of how they've gathered volunteers to go door to door to find thousands of students who've dropped off the radar completely when in-person schooling resumed. Also, managing attorney for the Florida Office of Earth Justice, Tanya Galini, joins us to talk about their latest appeal in the ongoing tri-state water wars, alleging that the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers failed to properly consider environmental impacts through the Apalachicola, Chattahoochee, and Flint River system. We'll cover top stories trending around the state and capital, plus we have your calendar of political events and more. But first, a word from our sponsor. You're listening to the Sunrise Podcast from Florida Politics. Following is a paid political advertisement paid for by Florida Education Champions. Online sports betting, it's legal and it's coming to Florida. With passage of our amendment next year, any tax revenues collected are required to supplement the Florida Educational Enhancement Trust Fund. Hundreds of millions of dollars in new revenue for students and teachers with more choices and competition for Florida consumers. Be a champion today. Learn more and request your petition at FloridaEducationChampions.com. And now the top stories on Sunrise for Friday, October 8th. It's National Hero Day and National Pierogi Day. Get with it. On this day in 1966, the U.S. government declared that LSD was dangerous and an illegal substance. And in 2004, American domestic lifestyle guru Martha Stewart reported to a federal prison in West Virginia to begin her five-month sentence for insider trading. Now, why is that here on this program? It's Friday. On Thursday, Florida Agriculture Commissioner Nikki Freed released and discussed data that she said Governor Ron DeSantis' administration has worked to block. This is indisputable evidence, as if we already didn't know, that masks work, the kids are safer, wearing masks in school during this pandemic, and that school districts requiring masks had lower cases per capita than those that did not. Freed said that the five largest school districts in Florida requiring masks had an average of 0.48 peak cases of COVID-19 per capita. 
She said the five smallest school districts, none of which required masks, had an average of 3.51 peak cases per capita, over seven times higher. Meanwhile, the Florida Board of Education voted to sanction eight counties for defying the Department of Health rule that banned local mask mandates requiring a doctor's approval to opt out. The board approved a recommendation from Education Commissioner Richard Corcoran to dock the annual salaries of school board members in Alachua, Brevard, Broward, Duval, Leon, Miami-Dade, Orange, and Palm Beach counties. They were all given 48 hours to comply. Our first Sunrise interview today is with Anna Fusco, the president of Broward's Teachers Union, which embarked on a unique grassroots campaign to find up to 11,000 missing students who became lost in the school system due to the pandemic. Students who have not returned to campus in person, nor have logged into classes virtually. Anna Fusco, tell me about what has been going on in your area when it comes to really finding students that have been lost pretty much due to this pandemic in the sense that they were attending school and now they are no longer attending school. What's been going on there? Broward County Public Schools saw a trend after, you know, five days have passed and students should be showing up to class. Ten days have passed and they, you know, grew concerned. They're enrolled or some of the ones that have been enrolled and then just haven't physically shown back up to school. So they, you know, they had sent emails, they have sent letters, and then they did a strong phone call canvassing of actually calling the families of the students that did not return to, you know, let them know that we've been back, we've been ready, we want you back on campus 100% face-to-face, you know, sharing all the safety protocols of what we have been doing to make sure that they know that their child comes back on campus we're making all of these protocols and precautions to keep them safe, you know, from contracting COVID and getting really high quality education from certified educators and support staff. And it was a, a good reach, but our new interim soup wanted to do more. So she, you know, wanted us to get out there and knock on doors. So she teamed up with Broward Teachers Union and the American Federation of Teachers, and then they they hired a consulting company to um, hold all the student data of where their homes are and, and you know, set up the, the canvassing layouts. And our teachers union gathered up 500 volunteers to go out on a Saturday and a Sunday with three shifts to knock on doors so we can mix with the community. We can actually show the families that, you know, hey, we're educators, we care, we want your child or your children back on campus 100% and, and try to answer any questions that they may have had to need it to be answered to get back onto campus. And we wanted to understand, you know, why they weren't coming back and you know, with the plethora of answers of why they weren't coming back and, you know, connecting with some that, you know, I didn't realize and I, I am going to come back. That was the the real rationale of why we were back out in the community knocking on doors. So how many students would you say that were missing? Um, I believe the district said there might have been between nine and 11,000 students. What were some of the stories as you went around canvassing, knocking on doors? What were people saying as to the reason why that they weren't back on campus? Various, so various. Uh, some, they moved. The, the, the people that now lived in the 
in the house said that these this group no longer lives here. That was one. Some had some um, concerns about actually physically being on campus because of COVID is still happening. And, you know, we explained to them that doing the best we can with social distancing, there's a mask mandate, we're still sanitizing, you know, taking, you know, putting all the protocols and to keep safe and help, healthy. You know, they just chose a different, you know, education venue, whether it was uh, private or um, sticking with virtual or homeschooling and of course, charter schools. And there were some others where, um, you know, just some mental health situations going on, whether it was the actual student themselves or family members, um, there was been financial situations, there was been deaths, you know, various reasons of why they just felt still comfortable staying home. It's, it's sad to hear, and, and as you mentioned, a variety of reasons. So where do we stand now? How successful has your effort been? And what's the next step? Will this canvassing and going door to door continue? Well, this it was successful because knocked on almost 9,000 doors, reached over 2,000 people to have conversations with, a few hundred have reconnected coming back to campus. There's still conversations where people are reconnecting with their schools of just, you know, getting re-enrolled, asking more questions on just, you know, what's going to happen now that I've been gone so long. Just so that piece was a success. And other, there were other pieces that were success. It brought 500 ed- educators, admin, higher management, school board members, superintendent, our national affiliate together to do this journey and, you know, having conversations before they went out into the field and then coming back and having conversations when they got back out of the field of just hearing so many different stories and sharing conversations, whether they were sad or positive, it was just a whole feel of that, you know, we did something great for our Broward County Public Schools and we were known in the community, you know, we were seen in the community and we were received whether a child was coming back to public schools or not. So that was the, that was the multitude of what was successful in this, you know, um, project. Thanks to Anna Fusco, president of Broward Teachers Union, for joining the program. More than a year after his appointment, Justice John Coriel was formally welcomed to the Florida Supreme Court. With a host of family, friends, and professional colleagues, he thanked them all for helping him get to the highest court in Florida. Governor Ron DeSantis was in attendance and shared his thoughts about the role of judges. Courts of law, and so having a, a court that uh, uh, justices that understand the proper role of the court, I think is very important. John clearly does that. When it comes to just policies that you may not like, uh, courts should not be getting in and trying to referee uh, different decisions that the legislature would have made that don't affect uh, necessarily the, the law or the Constitution. And when judges go astray, sometimes it's because they think they're a little smarter than the people that, that get elected to office and that they can do a little bit better, and so therefore they indulge their own policy preferences. That throws the constitutional system out of whack. Before joining the court, Coriel was a lawyer with Cobre and Kim, and twice a candidate for the legislature. He received his undergraduate and law degrees from Harvard. In his speech filled with gratitude for those that helped him through his professional career, Coriel for a moment broke down when it came to thanking his wife, Dr. Rebecca Tunkel. And as I pray to the righteous and true judge, for wisdom sufficient, to do the work I have sworn to do today, I have faith that I will receive it because he blessed me first 
with you. Thank you. Here's your calendar of events. The Florida Board of Medicine is scheduled to meet at 8 this morning in Orlando, followed by the Florida Board of Nursing meeting in Osceola County at 8.30. Donald Trump Jr. and other prominent conservatives will start a two-day American Freedom Tour event in Duval County at 9. The Acquisition and Restoration Council, which works on purchasing and managing land, will meet also at 9 in Tallahassee. And the Miami-Dade Refugee Task Force will hold an online meeting at 10. Earth Justice is filing an appeal to challenge the Army Corps of Engineers' management of the Apalachicola River. Managing attorney for the Florida Office of Earth Justice, Tanya Galini, is here to talk about their ongoing lawsuit in the Tri-State Water Wars. All right, good morning, Tanya Galoni. Welcome to Sunrise. I understand Earth Justice has filed an appeal to protect the Apalachicola River. What is this all about? Sure. Well, this is about how much fresh water is reaching the Apalachicola River and as a result, reaching its floodplain and its bay. This is one of the most um, important biodiverse areas really in the Northern Hemisphere. And it's been starved of freshwater flows for years and years. And we've seen the consequences of that. So the case is about making sure that the federal government is meeting its legal obligation to measure the impacts that its actions are having on that ecosystem before it decides how it's going to move, um, how it's going to control the freshwater flow moving forward. So put it in context, how long has this case been going on or this issue? How long has it been an issue? And I guess we're seeing through this appeal that you're dealing with that it's nowhere near a solution. That's true. And it's been an issue for decades. You know, this has been um, a battle among three states, Alabama, Georgia and Florida are all affected by how the Army Corps of Engineers controls the flow of water through this um, through this river system, which starts in Georgia and goes down the Georgia-Alabama border and then ultimately flows into Florida. And so this has been a longstanding issue. There are competing demands on the water. And it's about, you know, making sure that that fish and wildlife are not cut out of the equation, that the government is really looking at those impacts because it's not just about uh, biodiversity, but about the communities that are impacted as a result. You know, we've got major fisheries and, and oyster fisheries that have suffered just devastating losses. And the sources of revenue for those communities have been uh, really just decimated. And so, you know, it's about making sure that when those decisions are being made about how that water flows, that those communities and that ecosystem is not being left out. So much so that it's been called the, the tri-state water wars because this has been going on for so long. Absolutely right. Absolutely right. And it's been up and down through the courts, you know, and I think that there are just pieces that are still left to be resolved. And the biggest piece from our perspective is the impact on the Apalachicola, which is sort of, you know, um, have been treated as an afterthought. And the government has just not adequately analyzed what has happened to that ecosystem. And the evidence is there. Millions of acres of floodplain trees lost, uh, you know, the, the collapse of the oyster industry, uh, those impacts, the abundance of the bay. Anybody who is familiar with that ecosystem just knows over the years how severe these losses have been. And the government's been turning a blind eye to it. And that's got to stop. In a perfect world, what would bring an end to this war? What would correct the issues to make all three states whole or at least be able to reach a compromise? Well, you know, we don't represent the state, so it's hard to say what the state might say in terms of, of reaching a compromise. But I would say that 
uh, you know, the, the timing and the amount of fresh water that reaches the Apalachicola has to be has to be taken into proper account. And so, yes, there are other interests, there are competing interests, but you can't leave out the interests of an entire uh, region, an entire state, and you know that particular those particular communities that are impacted. So when those decisions are being made, all of those interests have to be taken adequately into account. And it's not just a matter of fairness, it's a matter of law. All right, well, Tanya Galani, thank you so much for taking this time to speak with me. I really appreciate your time. Thank you. And finally, as you jumpstart your day, thanks for tuning in for today's Sunrise. I'm Tramel Gomes at the Capitol, inviting you to join us again next week for a fresh squeeze into Florida's news, politics, and culture.